Welcome to the Pi Sigma Epsilon podcast, where we bring you a business advantage for life and the time that it takes to walk to class or drive to work. My name is Daniel Schultz, and I'm the Collegiate Vice President of PSE and a member of the Epsilon Epsilon chapter at the Ball State University. And my name is Kristen Pearson. I'm the Director of Member Services at the Pi Sigma Epsilon National Headquarters. Today, we have a very special guest and Pi Sigma Epsilon alum. So everyone, please join me in welcoming Assistant Secretary Royce. Thank you so much. Good afternoon. Thank you, Kristen and Daniel, for inviting me to be on the PSE podcast. I'm really excited. And I wanted to say that uh, my position at the U.S. Department of State is Assistant Secretary of Educational and Cultural Affairs. And I know that everyone's interested in learning a little bit more about how I got there. Um, I was sworn in for this position on March 30th, 2018. What is the process of obtaining such a position? The process is pretty interesting. And it's not that different than when you apply for any position. You have to first apply online. Not, not necessarily intuitive, but after the president was, was elected, uh, I applied online and I indicated the position that I was interested in. I actually indicated a few positions. Um, and then what happens is that your goal is to get interviewed. Um, and I was very fortunate that I had some uh, people I knew uh, that were um, former ambassadors that recommended me uh, to get into the interviewing process. Uh, once you go through that process, which is very competitive, you then have a uh, period where you're actually considered what they call a candidate. But this is not public yet. And then you go through this process of being vetted, they call it. And then the president makes a formal nomination and it becomes public. And that happened on January 3rd, 2018. So the previous year I was going through that process. When I was formally nominated, the president sends my nomination to the United States Senate. And then there's about two or three months where I'm being um, prepared to go in front of the United States Senate Foreign Relations Committee. I was then put on a panel of candidates who were being proposed for ambassadorships, one for Argentina, one for uh, Dominican Republic, and one for Colombia. So we all had our panel in March of 2018, which is televised on uh, C-SPAN. And I was uh, basically asked for over an hour and a half uh, various questions and everything goes into the Senate record. Then after that, there's a vote by the committee, which is 21 members. And then we had a full vote from the United States Senate, which was voice vote and I received unanimous vote which I'm very proud of. And at mm -hmm. the end of March, we still are not official yet because the president has to go back to the president. And then the president then formally signs your uh, documents, but I'm still not official because I haven't been sworn in yet. So a federal judge swore me in, in Orange County, California, where I'm from. And then I asked Justice Kennedy to do my ceremonial swearing in. So then I became official and on April 2nd, 2018, I began my position leading the Bureau. Can you tell us more about what the Bureau does? I think that my Bureau is actually probably the most dynamic from the U.S. Department of State because uh, what we say is that we move people to move ideas. We're the part of the Bureau that's really the people-to-people -people part, which is uh, 
hundreds of thousands of exchange participants in many different categories. Now, in my title is education. One of the things I do is I, pr I promote the United States brand. Coming to school, just like you are, are students at universities and colleges, I propose to students all around the world to make the United States their number one destination for their education. So I work with 4,700 community colleges and universities, and we recruit at 435 USA centers around the world. Uh, the bottom line is we still have remained number one with over a million students. That represents 45 billion to the US economy, and that's the fifth largest service sector export. The other thing I'd like to add is we want students like yourselves to go outbound and have an international experience. We offer all kinds of scholarships to enable students to do that. One example is something we call the Gilman Scholarship, where we've had 30,000 students actually go overseas with an international experience. Those are students that are Pell Grant eligible. We have a, but we also have critical language scholarships where students like yourselves could actually go overseas and, and learn one of 15 languages and get, for example, if you want to do Arabic in Morocco, as an example. And many of you might have heard about another iconic program that's been around for 71 years. It's called the Fulbright Program. That's an example in the academic space. In the area of, of uh, professional exchanges, we have a program called the International Visitor Leadership Program that next year will be celebrating 80 years. I'm excited to say that program, professional fellows and others like American Council, which I'm an alum of, um, basically indicates that we have now one out of every three current world leaders has been alum of one of my exchange programs. So an example, people like Tony Blair or the Prime Minister of New Zealand are just uh, good, good examples of that. And again, I'm also an alum. As an American Council young polit political leader, I went out to Poland and Hungary with a delegation of Republicans, Democrats, and Independents. So again, that was transformational. So it sounds like you've had uh, an extensive experience going through the process of getting to this point in your career and with this specific position. Is this something that you always knew that you wanted to pursue in government and this specific role as uh, Assistant Secretary for the State of Education and Cultural Affairs? Well, I've been interested in this position, I would say, for close to 20 years. So I would say that this is a position I was very interested in. Uh, I have all the skills for the position. I was a, I formerly taught full-time faculty at California State Polytechnic University, Pomona. I also was on 20 nonprofit boards. Uh, a couple of them were dealing with exchange programs. Um, in addition to that, again, I was an exchange participant myself. Uh, so, and then I think the bigger thing for all the listeners is that I have a business background. So. You might ask yourself, how does business apply to government? In fact, students asked me that same question. Uh, just recently, some of the college students were saying, well, you've done business all those years. How does that compare to government? And what I tell the students is that in business, I always cared about the stockholder. And in government, I always care about the taxpayer. So what I'm always trying to do is, is demonstrate value and say that people are getting a good return on their investment. Can you tell us more about some of your experiences and how those roles helped you prepare for this position? Uh, yes, um, I would just say, so starting out of uh, my experience at Pi Sigma Epsilon, I worked for um, a major company called Procter & Gamble Company. 
And I worked mm -hmm. in, uh, for that was the first 10 years of my career. And I worked in uh, sales management. And then I went into research and development. Uh, I would also say that I think this is very important. And I'll just share with everyone that people should try to expand their portfolio of, of skills. And being a, a top salesperson, I asked to have the opportunity to do research and development. I was the only person um, in the team of scientists and engineers. And they said, well, why should we bring you in? And I said, well, you need somebody that actually can bring the team together and synthesize complicated information and actually um, kind of take a business perspective to it. So in that role in my ninth year of the company, I helped uh, create the global program on the environmental quality initiative, which, which the Procter & Gamble company embraced. With, I was one of nine people who did that. So again, I'm, that's just an example um, of something I'm very proud of. And then I went into other different um, corporations uh, at an executive level. Uh, one of those examples is the Marriott International Corporation. Um, and I did, worked in various functions. Then I was recruited to work in telecommunications. And I actually did domestic and international telecommunications. So again, I had to actually go in again and a different sector and learn from scratch. So each time I was um, I actually worked very hard to educate myself and take training and work with um, very complicated um, information. A lot of it that was technical, uh, but I embraced it and I was also very interested in creating new things. So a lot of my responsibility was either in the area of um, innovating, creating uh, startup divisions. Um, and so consequently, I think that's uh, one of my probably my competencies that I have. Absolutely. And I can see the obvious transferable skills that you have that go from being in that business world and having that innovative and team mindset that would help you well in the government in the position that you're in now. What are some of the biggest lessons specifically you think that you may have learned in the private sector and have they transferred into your work in the government? Well, one of my biggest lessons is that um, you should never be afraid to fail. And I, I, I say that because uh, one of the things I do is we have a lot of mentoring programs. We bring uh, people from around the world that are nominated by their embassies to the United States and we pair them with mentors. And one of the programs we have is uh, one that we actually have top women at their chief executive office mentoring. And I was out in Vietnam with one of our protégés and we had 400 people there to listen and she said, do you, do you, I want to tell everybody what Assistant Secretary Rice said to me in Washington, D.C. And all I could think of was, what, what did I say? <laughs> but what, what the amazing part that she remembered was that I said, it's okay to fail. And for people that were there in the room, and we also had the, um, the news broadcasters there, that was really, really important for them to hear that lesson. And that's one that I continue um, to say because I think a lot of people are afraid to try new things. And I think that's key uh, that you have to do that from the very beginning of your career. And I also just want to add, having been a, a leader in Pi Sigma Epsilon um, and, and also serving on the national board, that especially for young people that want to be managers, you have to actually manage something. You have to manage people, projects. Um, and so consequently, PSE actually gives you all that experience. Uh, and I feel that um, 
you know, that's just an incredible uh, aspect of, um, of a foundation of leadership. Lastly, I would also add that everyone's a leader. I would never uh, want people to feel that they couldn't be a leader. Every, everyone should be afforded that opportunity. I think those are some great points and definitely extremely important, especially when you're talking about the not being afraid to fail, because a lot of times it's our fear of failing is that's holding people back. And that's why I think everyone should be involved in organizations like Pi Sigma Epsilon, because you're getting that experience when it's okay. And maybe when a failure is only going to set you back just a couple weeks and it's just a learning process. Um, the CEO of Pi Sigma Epsilon, Joan Rogala, she actually calls it tuition is when you fail. It's just tuition. So you're learning something from it. And as long as you do that and move forward, you know, you're getting something out of it and it was worth your time. So I love that you're pointing that out. And something that you also mentioned was mentor programs and how you're running them overseas. Yeah. Did you have a mentor as you were growing up? Well, going back to having mentor programs, uh, I would say in PSC, I had mentors that were alumni that were very helpful. I had professors that were mentors. I also uh, was involved with sales marketing exe executives, SME, that mm -hmm. they also provided mentorship. But I would also add that I sought out having a mentor uh, when I started my career because I felt that I wasn't being mentored in a more formal way. And so consequently, uh, at Procter & Gamble, uh, we proposed to the company that we create a mentorship program, and the company allowed us to do it. What we did was we created a mentoring uh, board to do the matching. We created applications. Uh, we, we were able to get top um, executives to be the mentors, you, or you could, you could be a protege or a mentor, and you actually could say what type of uh, a relationship you wanted. And I did have a mentor, um, and that was very, very valuable to me. Uh, because we were allowed to create that program, I was able to take that same program that I created and do it when I was a teacher at Cal Poly Pomona, a full-time faculty member. I wanted juniors to have that opportunity to be mentored. Uh, so I used to be president of the Alumni Association. So I asked alumni to participate. I used to be on the board at the university. I asked them to participate. And I actually went out to the classrooms and asked the students to uh, agree to be protégés. So we had 100 students that actually were part of that. And of course, you're not going to be surprised to know that many of them actually got job offers when they graduated uh, and, and developed those relationships with companies. So I want to just also say we have so many programs that we do mentoring now. Uh, we, as an example, I talked about Fortune. And this is the program I was, I was just discussing with the top CEOs. We also have uh, another program for women in sports. It's through ESPNW. That's another example. We also do things for men and women. Um, uh, we do it for uh, regional air, uh, programs like Young African Leaders Initiative out of Africa. We also do it for Latin American leaders. We do it for European leaders. I was just in Thailand for the what they call it, Waisili, which is the 10 ASEAN countries, and also the Timor-Leste. So those are just examples. 56% uh, of our foreign participants are under the age of 30. Mm. Um, I just also just came from Burma, well, where 5 million people will be voting for the very first time. And I had an wow. opportunity to speak to them. Um, so that's very exciting to me. Um, I'm also very involved in helping bringing more women globally into the workforce. If we could bring 50 million women into the workforce by 2025, it would bring uh, $12 trillion to the global economy. 
So what we've done in my bureau is we've launched a program called the Academy for Women Entrepreneurs. We're calling it AWE. And that program is a program where we're taking Thunderbird Global School of Management out of Arizona State's program, where we actually teach women to uh, how to raise capital, how to write business plans, how to create marketing plans. And they also get mentors and it's facilitated learning. And we've launched it now in 10 countries in Africa, 14 countries in um, Latin America. We're gonna launch it in Spain and Papua New Guinea. And I just wanna say that I'm very proud of that because it's in Spanish and in English. Uh, but we're giving the women the skills they need uh, to develop their businesses and bring them to the next level. But that's just an example. We have a lot of uh, different programs. Um, so anyway, I just wanna share that with you. Thank you very much for sharing that uh, that point. I'm glad that you have so many great initiatives that you've started to help promote business and promote people getting involved in that as well as those mentorship programs. Just some of the impact that that can have on an individual's life is astounding. Um, but in regards to you personally, you mentioned that you had some friends or people that you knew that were ambassadors that helped you get into your role or into the interview at least in the government. But how exactly would you advise someone who is looking to get involved uh, for them to proceed with that? Well, I would just say that I've been involved since I was, uh, I would say pr pretty much since I was in high school, early college. I was active in my city um, in Southern California where I was interested in running for city council at age 19. I was a student leader. Um, I decided not to run for city council based on the, the amount of money I was told would I'd have to raise sure but, but I I decided uh, I was asked by a candidate who is the, a council member to help him run for mayor of Pomona and I was his, his youth chair as a college student there's a five-person committee and I was successful getting him to be elected mayor then I helped his friend become a school board member then I helped get our assemblyman elected our state senator I started working on bigger races I so to this point in time I've worked on national uh, presidential races, congressional. So I was very active in the community and a lot, in, you know, whether it's working on my um, university board, but I basically would just say that when I was a student, I was very active and uh, was a student leader. And I've continued that since throughout my whole adult life. So through that process, I've actually made uh, quite a bit of um, personal contacts. And I would uh, add, that people should always continue to do public service. You know, this is my first time as a public servant where it's part of my, it's a job, but I've always done public service. And I've, I've, give, I've always felt it was really important to give back because I feel it's really important to give back in, in your communities. Absolutely. And I'm just so impressed by everything that you've done so far. I mean, you're just talking about working on presidential races. You've been a professor at Cal Poly Pomona. You've held senior management positions um, at Marriott. And you, you were talking about your time at Procter & Gamble. Is there, um, is there something next up that you're looking for? Well, thanks for asking. One of the things I did right before I started this position, I also created a business where I did uh, company boards and helping companies uh, when they created startups. So this is actually not an easy thing to do, to, to be a, board, uh, a, a corporate board member. Um, and it's really uh, an area where people need that expertise that you have to help them get to the next step. 
And I would also add, when it comes to being on a board, you have to figure out what your competency is. One of my, my biggest competencies is the ability to create strategy. And you only be able to develop those skills over time. But you should all, everyone here should be thinking about how can I add value? Uh, a lot of times people say, I want to get promoted. But that's not a way to really um, go about that. The best thing to say is, how can I contribute? I want to make the organization more successful. I have specific skills that I can add to bring the business or the organization to the next level. And I would just say that whether you're a student or a person in, um, let's say, a nonprofit or a business or public service, you should always be thinking how you can be adding value. And lastly, I would say you, you need to do it with the entire organization, especially mm -hmm. uh, leading a team of people. You can't uh, do something without getting everybody to be there with you. And they always say people support what they create, meaning that you've got to help them uh, create that, pro that program with you, that startup mm -hmm. with you, or even in your own chapters, that has to be something that everybody comes together as a team. Uh, sports is a great analogy. I mean, I'm sure you've seen some of these top teams. They are actually winning because they're a, a really strong team. I'll add one other thing, because my, my responsibility also includes cultural affairs. Mm -hmm. That also includes sports exchanges. So I was uh, honored by the fact that the president um, asked me to represent the United States at the Women's FIFA World Cup in Lyon, France. We've had several individuals from the team actually represent the United States overseas as sports envoys. Uh, sports envoys. For example, Alex Morgan went out to Tanzania and said, did six days of soccer camps with young people in Tanzania. Jill Ellis, the coach, went out to Liberia Julie Fowdy went out to Brazil. They do that. They help us represent the United States overseas. They create people-to-people -people relationships. But I've learned a lot from working with these athletes. Um, you probably might not have heard of him, but he's been gone out for us four times. His name is Cal Ripken. You ever heard of him? <laughs> oh, absolutely. Oh, good. Well, he was just here in the State Department, and Cal's been asking us about going out again in 2020. So um, that's just an, a great example. Katie Ledecky, he's an Olympic swimmer. Mm -hmm. She went out um, and she went out to Japan for us. Uh, and I also sent out two top skateboarders out in uh, Denmark, Finland area, Estonia. Um, you know, obviously it's nice to hear Marie Royce speak, but it's pretty exciting to see a top athlete because for some people, they've never met an American before. So it's really powerful because we talk about the American brand, the people to people. Uh, those top athletes are interfacing in the crowd. We do it in the area of music too. Uh, you know, Quincy Jones, for example, went out in 1956. He's now working with us to have young protégés, jazz artists go out. I've also worked with filmmakers who go out in teams of two. Embassies will pick a film and the two filmmakers will go out. They'll do workshops, they'll work, meet with people. And, you know, a 78 minute film can change someone's perspective. Um, I, I give, gave this uh, speech back in Los Angeles about a movie called American Nurse, where you had uh, a documentary of five cities in the U.S. with American nurses. And what happened was it was shown in Russia and the filmmaker came and she presented it. And a young woman said, can I go up to the front and speak? And she was allowed to do so. And she said, you know, my whole life, I always thought Americans never cared about their sick and infirm. But now I can see that Americans really do care in all these cities, these nurses, and how hard they work. So what I said to the filmmakers, isn't this really amazing? You've got a 78 million film, 
that can change somebody's entire uh, thinking process about the United States. So that's what we have to do is that we have to, I call it selling the American brand, but it's really going out and promoting. And when people come inbound too, they're always amazed. Uh, we had a young person who came from a Middle Eastern country and he was very uh, upset when he came and he went to a store and he was looking for a charger. And at five o'clock, the store was about ready to close and the charger wasn't there. And the owner said, get in my truck. I'll take you around to different stores and I'll help you find a charger. But I've, I always think it's exciting and wonderful because I know Americans do those great things. And, and, it's, and, these, and these exchanges are so powerful because people make it, uh, come to their conclusions with their own minds. See, you know, we don't give people talking points. People just have these experiences. They go outbound, they go inbound and they're transformative. So really that's what we do here, whether it's an um, uh, academic exchanges, professional exchanges, cultural exchanges, sports exchanges. Um, it's what we call people of people exchanges. Uh, it's the people and values pipeline that we create. Well, and thank you very much, Assistant Secretary Royce, for explaining a little bit more about that. And we're so grateful for the impact that you've had, not only as an alumni to be able to impact Pi Sigma Epsilon in the past and then continuing to be an outstanding leader now and the impact that you've obviously had uh, within your department and among others. But just as we wrap up here, we'd like to finish with one question that we ask all of our guests. Um, and that's, if you had to think about it, what would you say has been your business advantage for life? Well, thanks for asking that question. I was was thinking about the fact that I would say one of my strongest skills is sales. And even though I'm in this position now, Assistant Secretary of State, you'd say, well, that's not really a sales position. But what I would say is, in some ways it is, because my goal is to obviously uh, communicate um, what we do and bring people along with me. And I believe that the skills that you learn are foundational to, uh, to help uh, persuade people. And I would think sales, you can use it your entire life. It's either you're doing it uh, in a career uh, or you're doing it in, let's say, a government job or a nonprofit job, but it's all uh, communications. Um, and I was trained how to do, and this actually was something I learned in, at the university too, because I had never done teaching before. So each time I was never afraid. I said, I'm gonna learn. I, for example, I went to other teachers' classrooms. I sat in and I watched what they did. I took classes. Um, and what I learned, which is the same as in sales, is it's really important as what they call kinesthetic learning, the audio, visual, and sensory. So that's how people learn. Uh, so you're really gonna uh, show people, um, for example, how um, you're, you're how do I say this? You're, you have to show people um, the value. It's, that, it's called that value proposition. So I guess an analogy for you, if you're a student, this is something that I used to do at PSC workshops. I always told people I had a portfolio. I had one, and when I went out to, to basically um, go for interviews, I presented my portfolio of why they should hire me. And when I was a, a professor, when the students did internships, I had them put together a portfolio to talk about their project because people could see the value that they were able to create and their projects and their programs. And so that was very, very powerful. But that is really, in essence, selling. And so I do that now today. When I work to persuade, I take data, um, I show things, I do videos. Um, 
for example. And I also think it's important to bring everybody with you and, and give everybody a, a role, especially when you're working as a team. So uh, those are the, a few things that I would just say. So I, I would just say from a business advantage standpoint is the fact that just knowing that um, being good in sales is very, very uh, important thing. Uh, and lastly, I will just say that my bureau also um, is responsible for the U.S. Speakers Program globally. So we want to ensure that uh, people around the world can get exposed to a lot of different skills. And I would just say whether it's everything from cybersecurity to, um, let's say, public speaking, I think people should always keep trying to develop their skill set. And we are constantly helping people around the world develop skills. Um, just in order, we tie into the national security strategy. We also help promote English. We promote education. We promote um, cultural affairs. We do a number of things, but we, we're, we're always trying to advance Americans' global competitiveness. So that's how we really kind of race the strategy and, and, and making the world a safer place. So anyway, I want to once again say thanks uh, to Daniel and Kristen for this exciting conversation today. And I'd love for everyone to stay connected to me. Uh, you can go to www.eca.state.gov. Uh, the other thing I would add is I do also have a, a Twitter handle, um, ECA underscore AS. In addition to that, I also have a Facebook website page. So I really work hard to stay connected. And you could also even write me an email. And I'm also, I would also add, I'm also on LinkedIn. So uh, I know I very much would love to stay uh, connected with you. I like you to watch what I do and the places I go. And uh, so I just want to share that. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.